We've got two very, very different readings there. One of survival on the Nile, and one that is really a lament for the loss of, in 1917, the, the horror of the First World War, having come home. And yet somehow the cycle of water for T.H. Lawrence, giving some sense of renewal, the seeds of heaven falling, tears rain like manna again. We have that little picture of the icon on our service sheet. And again, that's got that mixture of the wonderful thing of water, and there's the child, and it looks as if it's going to be all right because, well, it looks as if Jesus or one of the saints and a life jacket. But when we look at it now, we can't help thinking of all those people who set out in water in great danger, coming here or in the Mediterranean Sea. There was a big exhibition. Uh, well, actually, it was the relaunch about a year ago of the Islamic collection uh, in the British Museum. And as well as showing many of their treasures, they had new things that they'd commissioned and one of the things in the, among the treasures was a great astrolabe, which was used for navigation, a big brass complex thing that would tell you many, many things. And then there was a little boat that had been made out of two mud guards from a bike, a little small thing, just two pieces of mud guard. And vertically full of burnt out matchsticks full of people that they represented, and a little poem underneath that said how they were navigating with their phones and the light from their phones. So we have a story, a wonderful and, and joyous story of, of water, and also water representing you know, the, the texture of our lives and all that is all that is mixed within it. Now, I was hoping we'd have some children, and we decided uh, not to have a children's spot and to treat you all as children today and have a little bit of thought about water. So I appeal to you to release your inner children and join with me in this. So, of course, when we're, talking, when we're looking at other planets and we're thinking whether people might um, live there or there might be life, um, the question we always ask, isn't it, is... Is there any water? Is there any water here? Well, I think the way I'm holding it, you probably all know that it's, well, what percentage is it? The surface here? 70 or slightly more, they say. 70 or slightly more. And water is this wonderful thing that, that washes us, you know, water that at the end of a hard day of work, there's water. There's the joyful water of baptism. There are so many wondrous joyous things, how precious water is in the womb we're resting in water and we're born with the breaking of waters. So when we think about water in our world, we're talking about something that is bound up with all the practicalities and all the deep, deep values and concerns and all our spiritual desires often represented in water. So our wonderful story is set in Egypt. And the life of the people of Egypt depended on the Nile floods. 
and the, 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 the Nile would flood. And um, in ancient times, I think people thought that the, the living things actually came down in the water of the Nile, but they, they found the seeds and everything that was waiting to come up. Many, many nations today depend on the water of the Nile. And it goes all the way down to Ethiopia. When you start talking about the Nile waters, there are two very main tributaries, White and Blue Nile. But you're going down, right down, or actually in terms of the river, um, going that way is going up, just to confuse us. But in the upper, the upper Nile there, you know, round about Uganda and Ethiopia. And I have to say that the information I got was slightly conflicting because my authorities said that it went through nine nations and on another point, 11, but many nations, but many, many more um, communities. And if you've been, some of you may have been on a Nile trip, and you go down and you see different communities and perhaps you've seen the Nubian community. Anybody seen that it's on a Nile trip? And they have square white houses with little blue domes. You know, they are their own people there. And the, the Nile is, the people of the Nile depend on the water. And we know that the water is good. All of it, we've talked in these, we've gone in these series of talks about how everything in creation was pronounced good. Sun, moon, stars, sea, Creepy crawlies, everything good. People like you and me, also created with original goodness. But we get things so wrong, and we see this as what's happened in this story, because the, the people, the um, Israelites, who went into Egypt, were welcomed. And they prospered, and they contributed, and they did rather well, and they did rather too well. And they had too many children. And they became a, began to be perceived as a terrible problem. In fact, their oppressors became afraid of the migrants who had done so much for them. It's not, a, it's not an old story, really. It's a story that's stung with us. They went from living peacefully to a situation where too many boys, babies, and they were, the firstborn were being killed. Can we imagine the mother? Well, we don't have to think so far back to think about the mothers who see their sons set off on this a dangerous, dangerous journey. What was Moses' mother's name? Anybody? I don't think so. I, I, her name. I, that's his sister. Close, though. It's a start. It's, it's not given in the story. It appears in two genealogies later on. And her name is... Josh Abed, Josh Abed, and she's married to Amram, and they have this child, and they have Miriam. Eric, Moses is not, uh, very often, uh, the person who becomes the great leader in the Bible is not the person who you would expect. It's, Moses is the second son. Uh, Aaron is the elder. And of course, when he's sent on his mission, if we remember that far later in our story, he needs his brother there to help him because he's worried about doing it on his own, about having to speak up. So he rests on the Nile and he's rescued. Pharaoh's daughter saves his life. She gets another mention 
in the Bible. She's mentioned in Hebrews. One of the reasons why some of us think that Hebrews might have been written by Priscilla, by a woman, is that, that Pharaoh's daughter gets a mention. Even though what is mentioned is how Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called a son to Pharaoh's daughter because he had become aware of who he was, um, of his people. Now, when we come to look at the Nile today, the Ethiopians have planned, and I think work is in progress, on a huge dam. It's, called, it's had various names. I don't think it's got its final name, the Ethiopian Renaissance Dam. But we need to just visualize the Nile for a moment because the Nile carries, I do believe, because the experts have told me, for Egypt, what Egypt gets from the Nile, 55 billion cubic meters of water. 55, can you visualize? No. Well, then, visualize, I think, a cubic meter and its transparent jelly, slightly wobbly. And then think 55 million cubic meters of that. And Egypt now has about 66%, but thinks it should have more of the water. The Ethiopians argue that, in fact, this huge dam that we're building is going to reduce the evaporation. And there's actually going to be more water, and it's all going to be fine. It won't surprise you to know that it's a lawful lot of rather nasty weaving going on to try and oppose the project for those who don't want it. And, of course, it gets very large scale. This, we move from the Nile to people who depend on it just living beside it to a world situation where China is supporting Ethiopia to have this dam. And all of this can come down into leading to even wars over water. So the message for us is water is this wonderful, wonderful gift. We're so bad at sharing it. I was a curate at St. Thomas the Apostle, and they had a link with a church in Mozambique, because actually the Diocese of London has a, a link with the church in Mozambique, and they were quite active in it. And we used to do things with the children to uh, raise, uh, raise bits of money for mosquito nets and different things, and we did it jointly with the um, mosque as well. Mozambique, so we did a bit of study on it, and they have actually potentially a lot of water. They have a number of great um, river basins, including what some of you may remember, the great green, greasy Limpopo River, all set about with fever trees. Anyone remember that? But 47% of the people have not got clean water, with everything that that means. They haven't been able to get it together to get the water or the hydroelectric part of the people. So either we're failing because we don't do things, or we're tragically rivals when we try to do these things and produce this hydroelectric power, which can be transformative in many ways. It's about learning to share our water and our lives. 
So this is where I was going to ask two children to take part in something. I don't know if anybody wants to volunteer to be a child this morning. Oh, yeah, we got two. We got two. We got two. So come on. I think we'll, we need to be where everyone will see us. We've got something. We've got a treat. You get a treat. You're going to eat it, but you have to eat it in the proper way. You have to have table manners. Oh, well, someone else can volunteer. Oh, Joy, you see, I had a feeling you'd turn up here. So we have to eat the bread. Now, you have to hold it properly by the end of, the, by the end of your fork. No, 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 the other end of your fork. Uh, that's it. That's how you hold it. Now, we, it might be a bit difficult, so we might like to have an advisor. Does anybody want to be an advisor? You're going to be the advisor. Okay, how are you going to eat it? Let's see you eat that now. Come on. Can I move my hand along? No, you can't move your hand along. Ah. <laughs> okay, everybody. <laughs> well done. Well done. Yeah. Anybody else want a bit pass it around? <laughs> I'll take this away. I'll take that away. There you go. Okay. So, let's just pause for a moment to wonder about the gift of water and how closely it's bound up with all the joys and also the sorrows and difficulties of our lives. And the wonderful thing about water, too, is the great symbol of God's forgiveness and the beginning of living generously is being able to accept forgiveness. When we're in real rivalry, when we're hurt, we sometimes get on a kind of a seesaw. So I justify myself. It was the other person's fault, did so-and-so, did so-and-so, did so-and-so. This touches me, you know, right at things that have been very important in my life. So I have my justifications. But then, of course, so now I'm up on the seesaw. But then, of course, I know very well that it isn't quite like that. And now this other person's side comes up. And now I'm not able, as I said in our, con in our confession, I'm not able to value myself as God's child made in God's image. And the thing is that there is enough water we can get off the seesaw. The water, there's a great saying in the Tao, let's have a bit of Chinese wisdom, finish off with that. The highest good is like water. It flows to the right and left. It flows in places people reject. And so is like the Tao, the water of the whole of life. There's enough pouring over all of us so that we can disentangle ourselves from everything that stops us from living more generously. 